we are finishing up this, this series. We did finish up the Beatitudes last week, but we're pushing one uh, passage past that. And the entire Sermon on the Mount could really be called the Jesus Way, not just the Beatitudes. And so this could have been a, an extensive series, but we're going to stop right after this piece here this morning. I thought it was appropriate. I thought it was good to revisit again, just for us to have a constant refresher in front of us about who we are and who we're supposed to be uh, in our walk with Christ. What does it mean to be a church? What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus and so on? Um, but here's how I want to start off. I want to point out the two things that we often take for granted, but these two things make our lives better. They make our lives healthier. They make our lives purposeful. And they even make us, at least one of them does, <laughs> a little more wise and a little more discerning. And those are salt and light. So let me ask you, and then uh, we'll kind of take it from here. When you really stop to think about it, how many of you are grateful for seasoning on food? Right. How many of you love just to eat, like, boring, bland food? Like, no, 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 thank you. Um, seasoning was what brings out the flavor of it. It often adds flavor. Uh, and the most common seasoning throughout history in the world is, of course, salt. Uh, now, as we're going to find out, there are a lot of other uses for salt than just seasoning. Um, but nonetheless, seasoning is probably the, its most well-known use. All right, next question. How many of you are grateful for light? How many of you would, how many of you would love just to, like, walk around and in the darkness, you know, gonking yourself on things, you know? If you woke up in the middle of the night, even though you may have everything in your room mapped out, if somebody put something that wasn't there that you weren't planning on, what do you invariably do? You're going to hit it, right? You're going to step over it, uh, fall over it, stub your toe on it, fall on the floor over it. <laughs> but sunlight, car lights at night, flashlights, electricity. I mean, can you imagine trying to drive our roads in the North Woods at night without lights? <laughs> I mean, it's unbelievable. It'd be kind of hard to even imagine that. But light makes certain things possible. What otherwise would not be possible in the dark. Light obviously also includes life. It creates the opportunity for life and the photosynthesis that exists in our creation. Which brings us to our text today, because Jesus uses these two words, salt and light, to describe us, to describe you, to describe me as followers of Jesus. So let's look here. Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its salty taste, it cannot be made salty again. It's good for nothing except to be thrown out and, and walked on. And that you are the light that gives light to the world. A city that is built on a hill cannot be hidden. And people don't hide a light under a bowl. No, they put it on a lampstand so the light shines for all the people in the house. In the same way, you should be a light for other people and live so that they will see the good things you do and will praise your Father in heaven. All right, so Jesus uses these images of salt and light, and he conveys an underlying truth about two things that I hope you begin to see here. 
One of the things he's communicating is the state that the world is in, where it needs salt and light, in its brokenness, in its darkness, in its decay. But within that context, Jesus is giving us a very clear description of your role in that dark, broken, decaying world. And your role is to be salt and light. And that takes us to our first point, number one. Just like salt, you are essential. See, salt by its very nature is salty. And that's kind of why Jesus makes this offhanded joke about salt not being salty. Right? Because unsalty salt would just be what? Anybody? A rock! It would just be a rock. And what's a rock good for back in the ancient cultures? Putting in a path that you would walk over, which is exactly what Jesus said. Alright? So salt by its very nature is salty. And salt was essential especially in that ancient culture, in ways we still use salt today. So here's just a small list of what salt is and can do. Salt preserves. It's one of the few natural resources that actually prevents meat from spoiling, or at least slows the spoiling process down, the decaying process down. It also purifies. Salt can sanitize, it can cleanse wounds, it can kill germs, preventing the spread of infection. Salt can heal. Even today, if you have a sore throat, doctors will often say, gargle with salt water as one of the best ways to treat it and to bring and facilitate healing. And of course, we mentioned it already, but seasons. That's one of the the things that salt is used for mostly to add flavor, to make something go from just ordinary to extraordinary. Really good. Another thing is that salt does is that it fertilizes. You may not realize this, but sea salt in particular, if you mix it in the soil, has been known to assist with both plant growth and the yield that the plant has. In other words, salt, sea salt, helps things grow and become healthy. And then lastly, salt sustains life. Even our bodies, even though we are made up of the largest percentage of water, our bodies still need salt in order to survive. Salt sustains life, our very physical life. Okay, so that is what salt does. So how does this tie in to you? So let me ask you this. How many times in your life Have you ever felt that your life really doesn't matter? Honestly, ask yourself that. How many times in your life have you ever felt that you don't matter, your life doesn't matter? That either it has not mattered or it could never possibly matter. It could not possibly make any difference. So Jesus right here could not be more clear. By calling you salt, he says, you are essential. Your life can make a difference. You 
I'll just solve for the earth. Yeah, but, but, but does God really know me? I mean, does he, does he see all this stuff in my life, in my past? And, all right, okay, let's just go on. You, with all of your imperfections, with all the ways that you still have left to grow, you with quite possibly a checkered past, you who may have rejected religion and said, uh-uh, I'm done with it, don't want anything to do with it, or you who may have been rejected by religion. You who may not have had any formal theological training, which is most of us in this room. You are essential. Because salt is essential. And Jesus called you salt. Jesus called you those things something that preserves and purifies and heals and seasons and fertilizes and sustains life. Why? Because you are the salt of the earth. Where? For your marriages. For your family. For your school. For your workplace. For your local community. Wherever you go, you are to be a source of preservation of all that is good and right and noble and righteous, keeping those areas from falling into further decay. You are to be a source of, of purification and healing, not in a harsh, negative way, but in ways that come alongside those who are hurt and wounded and need to be lifted up and need encouragement. Folks, people need a place to heal from the wounds of life. They don't need to be kicked while they're down. So you are to be the source of seasoning and adding flavor and healing into people's lives, bringing joy. And your presence in people's lives, as the last one in the fertilization says, your life should be there to help them grow and to become healthier not as a source of discouragement and causing them to become less healthy. Folks, Jesus is stating in as clear as a way as he can that, folks, you are essential. There is no plan B. You're it. And then he goes from this first analogy to the second, where not only are you the salt of the earth, but you are also the light of the world. Okay, but before we get there, because that's going to have a whole other place to go for us in a minute, but before we get there to that statement about us, I wanted to go back a little bit in the story and to get his statement about himself and how that leads into his statement about us. All right, so that goes to our second point. So number two, walk in the light of Jesus. And before we get to Jesus, we actually need to go back even further to the Old Testament and, and trace this out. And as we do, we begin to understand that, that light is associated with God's very presence, His truth, His very life. And, and we see that in the story of creation in Genesis 1, but then we really see it in the Psalms as they reflect back on so many things, like this one here. 
where the psalmist writes, Blessed are those who have learned to praise and worship you, who walk in the light of your presence, Lord. And then this one here. The Lord wraps himself in light as with a garment, and he stretches out the heavens like a tent. And then we understand that that after the fall in Genesis 3, after Adam and Eve's sin in the garden, all of creation was plunged into darkness, you could say, or void of God's light, void of God's perfect presence. So did God sit on his hands and go, oh, well, sucks to be you? No. God created a plan from the very beginning to begin to set all things right. He began to have a plan and set it into motion that would say, darkness will not have the final word. He did not leave us in darkness. And as we see the scriptures unfold and the story unfold throughout the Old Testament, light becomes to be associated with God's redemptive activity. His salvation out of darkness from all that is wrong and broken in this world, all that is dark. And and first he does it with the candles and the sources of light inside the tabernacle in the Jewish temple, specifically the menorah candle and so on. That was a symbol of God's presence in their midst, that God had not left humanity completely in the dark. But even beyond the symbol, David declares here, the Lord himself is my light and my salvation. There's where light and salvation begin to be put together. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? His light was shining once again, offering hope, offering clarity, offering direction. And very specifically, this light and the salvation that it brings is found in one place, in the Lord. Okay, another psalm declares that in this fallen, broken world where we're kind of lost and needing direction, we need light to help guide us. It says, your word is a lamp for my feet and a light on my path. God did not leave us in darkness. He gave us his word. He gave us his message. But as the story unfolds, and as you see it unfold throughout the the Old Testament, God knew that we needed more than just words on a stone tablet. He needed more, we, we needed more than just words that would be converted from that to words on a parchment. That we needed more than just a candle inside of a tent or a temple. We needed the actual very presence of God in our lives and in this world once again to do a couple things to transform us, which those other things could not do, and to make us new. And that brings us to Jesus. See, one of the most familiar passages that we often read during the Christmas season comes from the the prophet Isaiah chapter 9. It starts off with these words. You know, the passage that leads into that he is called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, all that. Well, it starts with this passage right here. He says, 
the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. There is this full acknowledgement of our condition, the darkness that this world is under after sin has corrupted everything. But then you see light as part of God's redemptive activity. In specifically a person, where in the midst of the darkness, light has dawned. And that light is what came into this world through the birth of Jesus. We get absolute clarity on this then later on in Jesus' ministry as he would take passages like this and he would walk right into them and, and just proclaim stuff like this. He would say, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. I'm the one that that Isaiah passage was talking about. The person who follows me will never live in darkness, but will have the light that gives light. Folks, Jesus is the walking, living, breathing light of God's presence in this world. Jesus is the Word incarnate, or the Word in human form. Therefore, we could now say, if we look back at that prior psalm, that Jesus is my light and my salvation. Jesus is the fulfillment of God's redemptive plan. Jesus is the light unto my path. Jesus is the lamp unto my feet. Now, there's one thing interesting about light, by the way. Light in and of itself does not pass judgment. Light only illuminates. It makes things more clear. Now, obviously, light is only one aspect of the character of Jesus, and I'm just speaking about that one right here in particular. But a light in and of itself does not pass judgment. only illuminates. It makes things more clear. Things that you could not see before, obstacles, pitfalls, dangers, you can now see more clearly. You, you understand paths not to take because those paths are more dangerous. Things that you could not see before in the good sense, like, oh, I didn't see those resources over here. Or other people that you desperately need. Or you see others in need that you can actually help. None of which were possible if you were just standing around in the dark. But the light reveals things and they make things more clear. Things that you would have not have noticed before in the darkness because you were only thinking of your own survival. But in the light of Jesus, he makes everything about this broken world more clear, makes everything about our condition more clear, and it only clarifies the path out of darkness and how to live in a way that keeps us from the darkness. In other words, folks, Jesus not only illuminates which way to go, whoops, not only illuminates which way to go, he is the light, or he is the way itself. But then notice that Jesus does not even stop there in our passage that we're talking about today in our, in our Matthew passage. He says that those who follow him, and even referring back to this John passage, who follow the light of the world, that they will never live in darkness. And they will have the light that gives life. They will have it internally within themselves. It was something they will possess inside of them. 
not as the means of salvation like Jesus is, not as the way as Jesus is, but something that points to the way, as someone who is touched by that light that brings salvation and then is offering it now to bring clarity in the lives of others who are still in the darkness. See, Jesus knew this was going to happen. Because he would say, while I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. Like he said it earlier, well, I am the light of the world. Yes, he is. And then he says, well, while I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. Meaning what? There's going to be a time when he would no longer be in the world, physically. And therefore, as the single expression of God's light, it would be gone unless that light would be given away and somehow multiplied. Jesus is the source of the light. But that light would be passed on to others. And Jesus was preparing his disciples for what it was going to look like. Saying, while I'm in the world, yeah, I'm in the light of the world. But guess what? That's all about to change. Which is why he gets to Matthew 5. And he says, you are the light of the world. Not a light of our own design, not a light of our own making, or a light that draws attention to us but a light that is the light of Jesus inside of us, his Holy Spirit shining through, pointing people to the way which is Jesus. See, if the world was going to get a glimpse now of God's presence, they don't have the physical person of Jesus to look to, to say, what does that look like? Guess who they have to look to? You and I. We are the reflection. We are the light of God's presence into this world. We are God's kingdom community. And that's our next point, number three. Shine your light for, not at people. <laughs> I mean, Christians, and you, you guys have been there, you, you understand this. Christians are very good at shining their light at people, aren't, aren't we? <laughs> Pointing out all their every flaw, Casting judgment and condemnation, pointing out all the evil that's in the world and in other people's lives. But we're not really nearly as good at shining our light for people, illuminating the path before them, shining a way that points to Jesus, showing the way that leads to wholeness and healing and new starts and new beginnings. In other words, the purpose of the light is to benefit those around you who have known nothing else in their life but darkness. The key phrase here is to bring benefit. I mean, we know many people that live in this world and have careers that really don't have anything to do but to benefit others, like medical professionals, teachers, counselors. And so we can list several more, I'm sure, but do you realize that the church was created and designed and called by Jesus to benefit not only those within our community, which is very important, but also to benefit those outside of the community, 
to benefit those who are still in the darkness. Not to shine the light at them, but to shine the light wherever they are. And Jesus gives us two analogies within this other analogy. One of a city on a hill that cannot be hidden, where everyone can see it, everyone knows how to find it, and there's the city. We know how to get there. We're on our way. It's not hidden. They don't have it covered up so nobody can find it. And two, he gives it as a, as a lamp inside of a home at night that is not supposed to be hidden, but is meant to provide illumination for everyone within the house. Neither of these two examples are about shining your light at people. These two examples are about shining your light for people. Which is why Jesus says next, in the same way, let your, shi- let your light shine before others. You should be a light for other people. Again, for, not at. To help people who are broken find a cure for their brokenness. To help people who are hurting and lost to find healing and find direction to help people who see how far off the path they are and wonder if there's any way possible God would ever take them back to help them find forgiveness and hope and restoration. But not just in anything, right? In the only thing that can actually change them, in Jesus. Not in religion, not in a bunch of great ideas, not in some external new philosophy, but in Jesus. Not a bunch of rules to try to change just our outward behavior without ever changing the inside of us, without ever changing our heart. I I love what British scholar John Stott says here. He says, human beings need more than just barricades to stop becoming as bad as they could be. They need regeneration, new life, and that can only happen through the gospel. Folks, we do not need more religion. We do not need more rules and barricades. This world doesn't need those things to try to force people or to keep people from becoming as bad as they could be. No, we need more light. We need more Jesus so that we can be made new to become as good as we can possibly be and to help others discover that they can become as good as they can possibly be because God can restore and redeem, take them from the darkness into the light. Folks, if you do not know Jesus, you need Jesus. Very clearly. And if you don't know him, I'd love to talk to you about that after the service. And if you do know Jesus, then realize that there are still so many people that are still in the dark And the only way out for them is not for more rules and religion and everything else. The only way out for them is regeneration. The impact of the gospel, new life that can only happen as you shine the light that points to Jesus. And as they respond to his invitation in their life. That's what our words and our lives and our actions are supposed to be. They are supposed to be a light for this world pointing them ultimately to Jesus. And that leads us to our last point, number four. We're getting there, folks. (laughs) Live your life 
to benefit others. Jesus finishes this section with the phrase, Live so that they will see the good things you do and will praise your Father in heaven. In other words, your good deeds and the words you say are the light that people are going to see. What you do and say for their benefit are these good things that you do that people will see. Now, we've discussed this many times. We we don't do good things in order to earn God's favor or to become righteous or to get some kind of a seat at God's table. No, we do good things because we already have a seat at the table. And we just want our lives to bring praise to God. And we want the things that we do to ultimately result in others who are still in the dark to praise God. Praising your Father in heaven. So let's go back to this salt analogy for a second. Folks, salt, for all of its benefits, cannot do anything as long as it just, as long as it just sits within the salt shaker. There may be a lot of it. The shaker may be full. But until it comes into contact with something that is in need of it, it absolutely serves no purpose. Salt needs contact for it to have any value. And folks, Jesus has opened up the salt shaker and it has poured you out. And you're you're wondering, where? I'm wondering, where does God want to use me? Where is God pouring me out? Well, again, it just starts in your family, in your school, in your job, in your hometown, wherever you go out to eat, wherever you shop, wherever. And it's in those points of contacts where you, being salt, comes into play. Where love, grace, compassion, mercy, purity, peace, joy, serving, giving, generosity, when all these things come into contact with others in your life. In the world around you. Folks, that's what begins to transform a culture. And then even in our basic conversations, which which today seems like it's weird. We live in a, a culture today where literally anything can set someone off, right? And you get heated in almost a moment's notice, and you 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 rise up to fight somebody, it seems like. You get emotional in a hurry. But I love what Paul says in his letter to Colossians chapter 4, verse 6, because we are supposed to be something different as the community of Christ. Where he says, let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to give an answer to everyone. Folks, let me ask you, how are people often hurt and wounded the most? Through our words. Words of bitterness, words of anger, words of shame that just belittle us, tear us down, try to bait us into an argument. Words of rejection, words of rebellion, whatever you want to call it. And what are Paul's words here? That our conversations, that those who are part of God's redemptive community, those who are followers of Jesus, who have been transformed by Jesus, that our conversations are to always, not just some of the time, but always be full of grace. Even when people are not nice to you, always full of grace, seasoned with salt. 
it stems the tide of negativity. It stems the tide of the brokenness that this that their words may have started. But you can stop it. It puts an end to it. It begins to re- reverse the negative effects of what was said by the other person. Words of grace that are seasoned with salt. And then to tie this into the analogy of light, we'll end with this. Paul says, in the past, you were full of darkness. Yeah, been there. (laughs) But now, you are full of light in the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. So live like children who belong to the light. (laughs) Paul's like, hey, in the past, you were in darkness. But now you're... You have, you're, you're full of the light of the Lord, so live that way. Don't live this other way. You now have the light of the Lord within you. So live as children of the light. And then he says, even for clarification, light brings every kind of goodness, right living, and truth. Every kind of goodness, right living, and truth. Live your life to benefit others. Make a real, tangible difference in people's lives. That's what the gospel does. Make their lives better because you personally are a member of the body of Christ. May this community be a better community because of Eagle Brook Church. Because not just of who we are, but of where where we go and what we do. And their lives have been touched by this community. May you, wherever you are, be salt and light. May you shine bright for not at people, and may you add flavor. Would you stand?